Hello and welcome back to Hope Survives Podcast. Today we have a great episode ahead, all about emotions and brain injury. I am interviewing Dr. Anne-Marie McLaughlin. She is incredible and is such a wealth of wisdom on this topic. She's a neuropsychologist, clinical psychologist, president of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. She works in rehab and has for a very long time, and she has so much great insight. And so thank you for tuning in. I'm so excited to get to share some of this topic with you all, and let's get started. Welcome to Hope Survives Podcast. I'm your host, Christabel Braden, a traumatic brain injury survivor and advocate, singer-songwriter, speaker, and creator of Hope After Head Injury. This podcast is all about hope, support, and education as we explore the realities of life with brain injury, with messages of encouragement, interviews with doctors and professionals, and survivor stories. So glad that you found us today. No matter where you're at on your journey, there is always hope. Emotions. (laughs) Raise your hand if you have dealt with emotional changes after a brain injury. I'm here raising my hand. I know a lot of you are probably raising yours as well because it is so common to experience emotional changes after a brain injury. It's, I don't want to use the word normal, but I want to say that don't feel like there's something wrong with you if you've struggled with your emotional responses after having a TBI because there are a number of things that can contribute to this. First, there's the physical side of your brain is physically injured and especially if you have a frontal lobe injury or even other areas of the brain, it can cause physical, physically your brain having an inability to process emotions and to regulate these emotions. And today we're going to talk with Dr. Anne-Marie about this. We're also going to talk about the other side of having a brain injury can bring a major life change. And Anytime anybody experiences a major life change, that can cause emotional struggles. And let's not also forget that brain injuries can often happen in traumatic ways. Whether it's some sort of accident or I know some people who've gotten brain injuries from domestic violence or a fall. It's scary to hit your head. It's scary there, there can be a scary event that caused it. And so that in itself can cause emotional responses. And so I want to encourage you guys today, if you're listening to this, to be kind to yourself and know that if you've struggled more with depression, if you've struggled more with anxiety, if you're having trouble with anger, And you just don't know how to express these feelings and it's confusing and it feels scary. I want you to know that you're not alone in that. You are not alone in these struggles. And having a brain injury is hard. It is hard. It is not easy for every moment of your life to become a challenge Just getting dressed, taking a shower, 
even walking, every step that you take, or trying to remember things, remembering words, forming your words, speech, all of these things require effort after a brain injury. And that's hard, that's difficult, that's challenging, and it doesn't feel good. And so today we're going to begin tackling this topic of emotions after brain injury. Now, in no way is this comprehensive, and I hope to have more episodes in the future related to this topic. But I'm interviewing Dr. Anne-Marie, who is a neuropsychologist, clinical psychologist, and she has so much experience in the field of brain injury. And I know that you're going to have a lot to take away from all the insight that she has to share in this conversation. So if anything, I hope this episode encourages you, number one, it's okay to struggle with emotion. Be kind to yourself. Number two, so many brain injury survivors also deal with this. And so don't feel like you're an odd one out that having emotional struggles makes you like, you know, not okay, like that is not normal, or that is not common, or that there's something wrong with you. We we all go through it in some manner. And then I also want to just leave you with some hope that it does get better. (laughs) So where you are now is not where you're going to be in a couple months, or in a year, or in two years, or in a decade, you know, You are going to continue to improve and you're going to continue to learn how to understand yourself and your brain injury better. You're going to continue to heal. There is always hope for healing. There's always hope for improvement. So don't ever give up on the journey. So thank you so much for listening today. I hope that this is encouraging to you. And I'd love to invite you to join our Facebook support group, facebook.com slash groups slash hope after head injury. You can also join us every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on the hope after head injury Facebook page, the main page, facebook.com slash hope after head injury, or you can just search it into Facebook. And I'm there every Tuesday night to do a live video. We have an amazing community that comes on every week, and I'd love to invite you to join there if you haven't yet already. So thanks for listening, and here is the interview with Dr. Anne-Marie. I'm here with Dr. Anne-Marie McLaughlin, and she is a neuropsychologist, clinical psychologist, and the current director of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania, right? Um, Actually, the title they have for me is president. President. Ooh, (laughs) she's the president. (laughs) So... um, I've gotten to know her through my work in volunteering with the BIAPA and attending there. We were also both featured on the PBS 39 Out of the Darkness Brain Injury Special in 2019, which uh, Tracy Yatsko put on. And so she has is a wealth of information. And today I've invited her onto the Hope Survives podcast to just share some of her experiences and insight regarding the emotional side of living with brain injury. So welcome, Dr. Anne-Marie. 
Well, thank you, Christabel. And, and I hope you don't run over too quickly all the contributions you do make to the brain injury field, certainly with your organization, Hope Survives, but also through the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. You really are just so creative and flexible and interested in helping survivors and caregivers. And we really appreciate and are grateful for your support. Oh, thank you. Sure, sure. <laughs> it means a lot. I mean, I love what the BIAPA does and any way that we can work together to bring more awareness to TBI and help survivors. That's what we got to do, you know? That's right. That's our mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to just start off by, of course, I, I introduced you and shared some of your titles and experience, but do you want to share a little bit of your experience working with brain injury? Sure. So I went to graduate school in clinical psychology and then learned about neuropsychology along the way and just fell in love with it. Um, I went to University of Maryland for my PhD and being near Washington, D.C., I had wonderful opportunities for training, like in the Veterans Hospital in Washington, D.C., and which is where I was in the first neuropsych lab there. And one of our professors was really teaching this new technique called cognitive remediation therapy, like how to help people who have had brain injuries from traumatic injuries, as well as strokes and brain tumors, how they can learn to rebuild and compensate for their deficits. So it appeared very exciting to me. And when I finished school, I worked for a long time in an acute rehab hospital. So patients would be coming to us right from the, you know, where they were treated after their accident. And we're going back now to the 80s. And and, um, that's when people with catastrophic brain injuries were first beginning to survive because of uh, all the techniques that had been developed. So I kind of got to see it from the bottom, from the ground up, you know, of people coming out of coma, um, the, the, just the, the pain and, worry their families went through. And it was a wonderful experience for me because, you know, you can learn testing and you can learn all sorts of things in school, but I learned everything that's important about brain injury from working with survivors and um, their families, certainly. And then for the last, I can't believe it's been 19 years, I worked for a company called Remed, which does post-acute rehab. And that's for people, you know, right now we have a residential program and ironically, many of the people I saw in coma years ago and on up through their acute rehab are now working, I mean, living in our residential programs and, you know, working and some of them have married and formed relationships, but also we work with outpatients and um, in the home and community. So really getting that full picture of brain injury rehab What's there's two big things I think about this field that have kept me engaged for so long. One is when you work with survivors and their families, there's change, there's improvement. Years and years after the injury, people are still figuring things out and trying new things and making improvements and rebuilding their their sense of self and their identity and their lives and. Uh, with very devoted family members who are helping them along the way often as well. Um, So that's really exciting and and worth investing in. The second area is the fact that 
you know, rehab by definition is a team. So I've gotten to work with wonderful colleagues in other disciplines and together, you know, we problem solve and try to come up with ideas about what might help a particular client or their family member. So it's just a, been a wonderful, um, I sound like I'm retiring, I'm not um, <laughs> far from it, but it's been a wonderful experience. I, I mean, I just can't say enough about how glad I made that life decision to, to work in brain injury rehab. It's just a, a very important part of our community and society. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. You've had so many years of meeting and working with brain injury survivors. And I love when you're talking about what's kept you in this field, the aspect that there's change, right? So where you start is not where you're going to be in even a couple months or where you're going to be in a year or where you're going to be you know, where you end up. I love there. I think there's a quote, I think it might be C.S. Lewis that says you can't change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. And I love that quote. It's yes, motivational. No, that's that's quote. very powerful. <laughs> it's very powerful. And I think very meaningful to this, you know, to what we're talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, what are some ways that you've seen changes and improvements over brain injury? I know this very, very general question, but. Yeah, it's, it is a big question. Um, but certainly, you know, in, in the early days post-injury, the changes are incredible, right? I mean, someone who can't, you know, you've heard people say, I had to relearn how to, how to talk and eat and walk and, uh, you know, think of that, think of that, just what would be natural developmental stages, your brain has to renegotiate. And certainly the therapists and nurses and physicians are there to help people along the way. But that gives great encouragement to the families who are by their side and ultimately to to the the survivors themselves. And then the progress may slow down. It may not be as dramatic. And that can be very frustrating and certainly anxiety producing because there's so much uncertainty of, you know, will he be able to go back to work? Will he be able to go back to school? Uh, will she be able to go? I remember one young woman was in dental school and that's all her father wanted to know. Will she be able to go back and meet her dream uh, to be a dentist, you know? Um, so along the way, you're, you're, you're maybe letting go of some goals and dreams and, and identifying new areas that, that you want to, to go on. Um, But I certainly have seen people years post-injury that come into an outpatient or home and community-based treatment program, and with the structure and strategies that are provided and the support of caregivers, they can continue to make changes. And maybe where, maybe they can't go back to a full-time job, uh, but perhaps they can do something part-time, either, you know, for paid employment or volunteer work, but just something where they feel like, oh my goodness, I have some meaning every day, you know, and, and that's so important. Yeah, that's so uh, good. The other, the other area, if I could just say, uh, Christabel, is you mentioned the important issue of um, emotional uh, issues. And um, there's certainly many challenges in that regard. A lot of the emotional changes, as you know, are as or, organi- organically based. I mean, they're as physically, physiologically based as having weakness on one side. 
And then some of the emotional differences are related to what we would call reactive. You know, there you kind of think, oh my goodness, my life is so different now. Um, but again, with support, sometimes with some medication, uh, psychotherapy groups, support groups, um, we can really hone in on and help people with those emotional issues and, and have them um, relearn or identify coping strategies that could, could help them. Yeah, that's good. And you bring up such a good point that sometimes it's physical. Sometimes, especially if you have frontal lobe issues, like you can't physically control your brain's reaction to things. And I remember on the journey, like it took me time before, like years before I started to recognize when I would start to be physically triggered. So for example, earlier on, something would happen that barely upset me, but I would be streaming tears. I'd be saying, I'm not really that upset. I'm, I'm okay. But I'm like sobbing. <laughs> I can't control it. Or I would get so angry. I'd have temper tantrums and slam doors and not be able to, not be able to, uh, what's the word? Um, regulate? <laughs> yeah. Not be able to regulate or control it. And over time, I started to learn how to recognize the difference between my brain feelings and my mind feelings. That's kind of the way that I worked through it. And it was like I could tell when I was getting overwhelmed or flooded. So, like, if I'm overstimulated, if I'm overwhelmed, if the lights are bothering me, I'm more likely to be irritable. And so I would start to recognize I'd get a, if I started to get a headache, if I started to get that overwhelm, like it's this feeling inside, like, you know, that, that panic, that anxiety. And I start to get this like overwhelm, like brain fog where I just can't think. I start to recognize I might snap. It's coming. Like I, and, and I, and I say, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overstimulated. I need to take a step back. And I started to recognize there were times when I would actually be upset, but then there were times when I would be overwhelmed and brain injury symptoms to the point where it would cause me to react like I was upset. Yeah, it's a, a really, really great description uh, that you just provided, you know, and understandably, sometimes the survivor themselves or maybe their caregivers have that sort of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, just push through it. But true to your description, pushing through it is actually going to make the problem worse because you are on overload. And so you're going to get very limited return from your investment um, in in that regard. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, You also, Christabel, mentioned a real, in the beginning when you started talking about having learned what your triggers were and tuning into your body's reaction. especially in the beginning and sometimes for years to come, that's one of, I think, the hardest symptoms of a brain injury and particularly a frontal lobe injury is when people have limited awareness. So if you think about it, it learning a task, maybe, maybe you're learning to cook a recipe or learning to ride a bike, someone might give you feedback and say, well, you know, maybe you should put a little less salt in it or put your foot here and it'll go more easily. But after a brain injury, very often our ability to use feedback from others is decreased. And 
you know, it has to do with that awareness factor. And that ironically, as, as people improve after a brain injury, the good news is they become more aware. The bad news is they become more aware. And as with that awareness comes often a, an anxiety, a depression. Uh, but as you describe in your example, you can really wrestle with that and use it to your advantage. And okay, so every once in a while you have to take a break because you're getting on overload. That's fine. You simply need to do that. Um, I, the other thing I think of in your description of, of your reactions is and, and what I'd like to say to any survivors in the audience is, unfortunately, some of the burden has to fall on the person with the brain injury to educate others around you. Uh, you know, if you needed help with a physical task, you would be comfortable saying to someone, could you help me lift this or could you help me open that door, whatever it is. Same with your emotional and behavioral issues you know, I'm feeling a little overloaded right now, or could you turn down that background noise? It's, it's distracting me and causing me to be irritable. That's okay. Tune into what it is you need and educate others around you about what that is, what those things are. Yeah, that's good. I'll give one example. Every good. time we would eat, this is a recent example in the last year, whenever we would eat dinner or, you know, as a family, or um, we'd be home a lot, <laughs> because of 2020 and quarantine sure. so yeah. you know every time we'd be eating dinner or we, we would play board games at the kitchen table I would get irritated with my family and we'd be playing board games and I'd be snapping at them and like yes board games are overwhelming for your brain but I noticed the light we have over our kitchen table was really bright coming down and so I've started wearing a ball cap to the dinner table really? and to when we play games. And suddenly with a ball cap on, I'm not irritable like I was. And because you're not because, overstimulated. Exactly. Brilliant. So it blocks out the light from the top from hitting my eyes. And suddenly my brain isn't overwhelmed by too much light in the light stimulation. And it also cuts off the top field of your vision. And so I always recommend to survivors to wear hats because it makes a huge difference because even if you just do this, like suddenly you, you're not having to process all the stuff that you see up there. You're just processing what's in front of you. Yeah. And so I mean, there's many, many example. strategies like that. For example, you know, we always tell people if you go to a wedding or into a restaurant, seat yourself so you're facing the wall, you know, so you aren't overloaded by all the activity or so you're not right facing a window so yes I, yes yeah. you know I have a, a, a similar example only a, a little more dramatic of, of a patient I had who uh, his his injury was actually a concussion um, so he was never in a coma but it, it, certainly he had deficits related to that uh, concussion and he had a number of children and he would talk about dinner time being very difficult because of what he called the crosstalk. Simply normal family dinner where the kids are saying what they did that day and people are asking questions. And um, one, and he was refusing to use strategies. In fact, this gentleman would go out and drive and even though his sense of direction was totally off, he would refuse to use any strategies for maps or GPS or anything. 
But anyway, one night uh, at dinner, he became so overloaded and he became extremely um, violent, really. He, he pushed his wife and end of story was he was brought away in handcuffs because they had to call 911 to contain him. But, the, you know, again, I tell this story because it's someone who had a concussion, but got to the point of overload and irritability where he was totally out of control. And yeah. um ultimately learned that what he needed to do to contain his environment a bit, a bit so he could could manage things. And you see that in the movie Concussion as well with the football players with CTE. It's have you seen that? It's a very yes. emotional movie. I think you know, when you're in a place that you can handle it, I recommend uh-huh. survivors and caregivers to watch it. Maybe not early on, you know, you know that it's going to be emotional, but it it depicts these football players getting violent and even suicidal due to the brain injuries. Well, and- even as you as you're in your story, I'm sure your family doesn't regard you as this nasty, irritable person. <laughs> so, you know, one the the phrase I hear so much from people is. I'm not me. Yeah. And what a what a devastating concept to have to deal with. Like just not feeling like yourself. You know you're not acting like yourself. Yeah. Um, that's just emotionally very difficult. And that's a good segue into the second half of our conversation. So we've been talking about, you know, emotions and brain injury and some of the ways that a brain injury can cause emotional reactions. But let's go into dealing with the emotional process of my life is different. I don't feel like myself. There's this grief process and and it's hard to handle. A lot of brain injury survivors become very depressed, become very anxious, become unable to get out of bed, not even as much due to brain injury symptoms, but due to depression. Sure, yeah. And I guess the first thing I want to say about that, Christabel, is... I would worry about them if they weren't depressed. You know, I mean, so that just to normalize the fact that, yes, you've had a tremendous loss. Really, it's it's partly loss of self. You know, you're trying to figure out, well, well, who am I now that I can do things differently? And and it's a process where you have to go through figuring that out. And it it is like a, a, a grief response. Um, only... You know, with when you lose a family member, for example, there's a finality about that, and it's pretty clear, <laughs> horrible but clear. Um, when you are losing a part of yourself because of your injury, and you don't know what things are going to look like in a month or a year, um, it's kind of what we would call an incomplete mourning. Incomplete mourning because some things are still the same, and some things are very different. So, you know, to the extent possible if we can help people to focus on what is the same, you know, let's, let's play to your strengths. What can you still do? Um, one of the strategies that we often teach in grief counseling is to maintain a routine. Certainly initially it's going to be a different routine than you had before your accident, but a routine nonetheless, where, you know, there's a structured schedule you go to bed every night thinking, oh, I did that. That was productive. That was meaningful. Even if it's writing a letter and mailing it, you know, and you gradually build from there. We need to have that sense of purpose every day that we can create through a structured schedule. 
That's so good. That's crazy be, that you mentioned that because having a routine is like one of my New Year's resolutions. And exactly. literally right here, I have this little uh, like weekly schedule thing that I wrote out yesterday that I'm trying to have a morning and a night routine and actually structure and schedule my days because I can get so stressed out without yeah. that. Well, it makes life predictable. And I think um, it's comforting. Um, my dad was from Donegal and he always used to say to us, like if we had a cold and we couldn't go to school or something, he'd say, don't let the bed get a hold of you. And, you know, that's what it's about is not, not letting that depression or the bed get a hold of you, but instead, what's that one thing maybe I could accomplish this morning? It could be you put in a load of laundry or take the food out to defrost for dinner or call someone or make it to that therapy appointment. Um, but just, you know, honor yourself by by having these activities that are meaningful to you. That's mm -hmm. good. So that's one strategy, um, having a routine or, you know, putting things that you're purposeful in through your day. What's something yeah. else? Um, you know, I, I do not want to end our call without talking about the importance of counseling, um, that it's important to have you know, someone to talk to about how you're feeling, someone objective who could help you identify strategies for your personal situation. And then related to that, support groups, especially now with, with during our COVID phase, a lot of them are online and BIAPA has a listing of, of support groups in your area, but also we're doing a monthly one ourselves. Um, so, I mean, that's really important, just that feeling of, oh, I know that that person knows how I feel. It's, yeah. it's very reassuring. Connecting to other survivors. If you're a caregiver yes. listening, connecting to other family members. Absolutely. And just being able to know that. And we have the Hope After Head Injury Support Group as well Yeah, available. Yeah. I mean, after all, the, the end goal is really acceptance, to reset your sense of who you are revise it and and still like who you are you know to accept or if you're a caregiver to accept that as one mom said to me you know I I quote it was two years after the injury but she said I buried my son today and I said what do you mean she said oh no he's fine but I realized I had to let go of the person that I knew before the accident and what I thought he was going to be like as he got older and and now I'm accepting the son I have, which is very difficult and tremendous. Yeah. Accepting the new way of living after a brain injury, I think is the hardest part. I, I, I think it's harder than the rehab therapy. I think it's harder than, you know, the tasks you might have to do or vision therapy and looking things. Cause all, all that's a little bit more objective. This is, a deep emotional identity crisis that you go through. Right. I think you're saying something very important, Christabel, very important. And, you know, there's no formula for how long it takes. It can take years and it, it, you revise it every month, you know? So you think, you think you're there and then you realize, oh, I have to work on this. So and it can cycle is, and it self acceptance. Can look, is very it can look important. different depending on the season. Yes. Yes. Sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So 
Before we go, are there any words of encouragement that you might have to survivors and caregivers regarding this? Well, let's just go back to kind of the way we started talking about how brain injury rehab is a process of continual change. And, um, you know, sometimes there's setbacks, certainly, like anything in life. But uh, as you move toward revising your sense of who you are, you then revise your schedule, your tasks, your accomplishments, your your relationships, um, and you know you're kind of rebuilding a, a revised identity. As you as you've used the term, a new normal, um, it's certainly what it becomes. And use every bit of support you can get along the way. Yeah, and don't give up on yourself. Mm-hmm. And know that you're still you, even if you don't feel like you even if you don't feel like yourself, you're still you. Like God only made one you and you are who you are and no brain injury can take that away from you. Your identity is solid. It's who you are. The way that you maybe communicate things or the way that your personality comes out might change. You might have a lot of different ways that you interact with people. You might have different interests. You might have a different job. You might have different life, but you're still the only you. And I remember feeling like I lost myself completely and like I was a different person. And I had, I first I went through this process of me feeling like learning how to be okay, that I was a different person. And that was maybe like the first seven years, eight years, nine years, even 10 years, um, feeling like it's only been recently in the last maybe year and a half that I've been like, even with my brain injury, I I had gotten to the point of acceptance of being different, but it's only been recently that I've realized like the little girl that I was as a child, the person I was before my brain injury, that person's different, but it's still me. Well, and Christabel, if I can ask, how old were you when you were injured? 14. And so there's a normal developmental process that would go on anyway. I mean, every 17-year-old, every 21-year-old, every 29-year-old is asking questions about who they are and, and, you know, how they can be their best self. So, you know, we have that going along and complicating really the, the brain injury <laughs> recovery process, but, but it, it, it is, um, you know, something to be encouraged about because you have, you do have some sense of control in figuring out uh, where you want to go and set goals for yourself and accept yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And like Dr. Anne-Marie said, finding support, finding, you know, maybe, counseling or a medical team that can support you the right care the right people finding a support group surrounding yourself with people that lift you up and can say hey it's okay I get it living with brain injury is hard but you're doing it (laughs) yes Yeah. yeah and I'll leave you guys with that you're doing it you're doing it every day and that's beautiful so Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank today. you. It's lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Absolutely. And 
As we said before, Dr. Anne-Marie is the president of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. So you can check out the BIAPA on Instagram or on Facebook and see what we're doing over there as well. Thank you, Christabel. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Hope Survives Brain Injury Podcast. I hope this episode was able to encourage you in some way. To get in touch with me, you can connect on social media. The page Hope After Head Injury on Facebook does have a message option if you'd like to message me. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Christabel Braden is my page and at Hope After Head Injury is the Hope After Head Injury page. My website, ChristabelBraden.com or HopeAfterHeadInjury.com, as well as join our support group on Facebook. All the links will be in the show's description, and we hope to see you next time on Hope Survives.